Uh, so thank you, Stacy, for that, that great introduction. Uh, first, I'd like to thank the three Met fan. I'd like to thank the chaplain. At least two of us are in the correct uniform tonight. <laughs> uh, and I'd like to uh, certainly thank the association, the foundation, for uh, for putting this event on tonight. Uh, for those not keeping score, I believe this is only the third iteration uh, of this dinner in Westpac. Uh, something that's been going on for quite a while on the east and west coast. Uh, they fought, finally followed the compound's guidance and brought it to where the action is. <laughs> and I will tell you, Mark, uh, and I'll cover this in my remarks later, uh, this is an enormous AOR. You talked about the distance to travel to get out here. And typically, when I start uh, an operational discussion about the AOR, I start with a chart of the seven fleet area of responsibility, which goes from the international bay line to the border of Pakistan. Uh, uh, quite a bit of area there. And I will overlay a silhouette of the United States uh, on the more immediate region uh, to make the point that the entire United States fits between mainland China and the second island chain. So everything we do out here is in terms of thousands of miles. And uh, that can be a burden. Or as General Clarity and I are discovering, it can be a tremendous advantage. And that's what we're working towards. So I'd also like to thank uh, the spouses for coming. Not a lot of you here, I know. I think two. <laughs> Maybe a few more. Certainly the main of the Marines and sailors that uh, made the effort to come here. Uh, this is an important event, and these functions are extremely meaningful uh, for carrying on the culture of our, our respective services. Uh, again, I'd like to thank my favorite Marine, Lieutenant General Clarity. Uh, I'd like to take, thank uh, one of my favorite golf buddies, uh, Brigadier General Bowers. He's terrible, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and certainly the officers and enlisted across the region. Uh, I am so proud of what you do and how you do it, and that what you do is so distinctly American. So this is a very fragile and important region, and one laced heavily with tension. And tonight I'd like to talk, at least for a few minutes, on what it means to be a cross-domain blue and green fighting force in this environment, and hopefully give you some understanding of how seriously we take this responsibility, how well postured I believe we are, and how every one of you in this room are a key element of sustaining that posture. And I'll begin by saying that everything we do in this area of operations has the singular focus of sustaining the security and stability across a free and open Indo-Pacific region. And that's a pretty simple commitment to say, uh, but we are preserving the rights of all Pacific nations, including ours, to thrive in the Maritimes. So everyone is concerned about what's going on out here, and we're starting to see some familiar faces converge in this region. And not just the more distant Pacific nations like Chile, Canada, who are, have become somewhat of fixtures out here now, but we're also starting to see the French, uh, the United Kingdom, because they all know that they're not directly tied to the Pacific physically, that everything runs through this Pacific region. And they're showing up uh, in mass to help us with the United Nations sanctions enforcement in the East China Sea. 
They're showing up to help us with the, the, the uh, theater security cooperation that's so important to building that extended team, and they are participating in our high-end exercises. They know what's at stake out here. So the attention on the Pacific has sparked this new revelation in warfare. And we are stronger now, I believe, than we probably have ever been. And we have returned to what I call the comfort zone. And this was simply over the last several decades, we were able to kind of form ourselves out of convenience without facing a real peer threat. And here's the thing about great power competition. It creates great competition. And I'm here to tell you that no one likes competition more than Americans, and no one likes winning more than Americans. Especially when it becomes a good cause for those that can, cannot defend themselves. And those, uh, unfortunately, are not hard to come by. So in the case of the Western Pacific, we will keep these arteries open for everyone. So despite what we're accused of, we've been here much longer than any of the existing regimes out here. We're not imperialistic, we're not antagonistic, and we're not going away. Maybe we're a little antagonistic. <laughs> but I tell you, I sleep well at night, and to quote my second favorite Marine, uh, General Mattis, when asked what keeps him up at night, uh, nothing. <laughs> he keeps others up at night. <laughs> and I endeavor to do the same with my extended team. So the revolution of warfare I just mentioned has generated new technologies, new techniques, new procedures. But most importantly, it's reestablished the partnerships and with a renewed understanding of why those partnerships existed in the first place. So great news, everyone. We are again a naval force because we have to be. And we remember again why we were established as essentially the original joint force. Because we're more powerful as a team, if not the most powerful team. And I would say on most days by a wide margin. And through this reawakening, the whole world will benefit. We are restoring our complexity, our agility, and our high-paced lethality, as my team likes to call it, speed and violence. And although this revolution, revolution came in the crucible of this new threat that we face, God help anyone anywhere who has this new us pointed in their direction in anger. And I'll tell you what the Marines and the Navy are working on in the Pacific is nothing short of really of an amazing return to our roots. Using the Navy to get the Marines into position as mutual enablers for the joint force. And I'm one of those beneficiaries. Moving ashore, creating effects from the shore and moving again. We're leveraging a stand-in team, both afloat and ashore, is able to dodge a pump, punch, move, heal if needed, and then respond. And we're doing it with a great deal of speed and maneuver. So I've been Seventh Fleet now for about six months. And I'll tell you, it seems like a lifetime in a very positive and, uh, and good way. But I mentioned the six months piece because earlier today, in that six months, I had my fourth trip to Okinawa, my fifth meeting with 3MEF, and my sixth meeting is scheduled for later this month aboard the USS Blue Ridge as we transit uh, at sea. It's always fun to have Marines aboard the command ship at sea. 
Uh, we're also coordinating a 3-MEF, 7-Fleet, 4-Way sync with 1-MEF and 3rd-Fleet. And this topic will likely be how do we really load out these RMUs uh, coming across the Pacific? Because nothing is standard anymore. <clears throat> and it's pretty healthy stuff that keeps me at sea who are on the road nearly full time. And, I, and, and although I love you guys, I might be becoming more green than Mary here if I'm not, <laughs> not careful. <laughs> So a great catalyst for this effort, and it was mentioned earlier tonight, other than the defining pacing threat that I'm alluding to, has been General Berger's words in his commander's guidance, and how he has galvanized not just the Marine Corps, but also the United States Navy, and really the Pacific Navy in particular. So I know this officer well. Uh, we solved many problems together in the Pentagon, which, believe me, is an AOR in of itself. Uh, he was my counterpart at McSiddick when I was the N9 that General Clarity mentioned. So, just briefly, the N9 is the collection of Navy warfighters in the Pentagon. We had eight two-star admirals, all of them strike group commanders or task force commanders. So I always chuckle when I hear the Pentagon doesn't get it. Well, let me tell you, my team got it and they had very strong opinions on how they got it. And I can hear General Berger's words personally when I read his guidance, and I've read it several times, and I encourage everyone in here to commit to reading it several times. And if you do read it carefully, he essentially calls out only two operational commands, 3MEF and 7th Fleet. And this is a region absolutely tailor-made to take advantage of the strengths of each of our services multiply what we bring by what we bring together. And the real magic is moving and operating as a team, knowing each other as teammates, and being able to operate based on a 10 absent specific guidance. And this is not easy work. This is not comfortable work. But it's a lifestyle change that we must get right now in the luxury of peace in an environment where comms are perfect and outcomes can be predetermined. So I'm a big fan of this flat, ugly command and control. It breeds resiliency, it breeds agility, and it breeds lethality. You know, you can, you can stand by these vertical, echelon, clean, tight chain of commands. All works great until one of those echelons are missing, which is a very real possibility when you're in a pure competition. And maybe I should pause uh, just for a moment here, and apologize for those in the audience who may not be familiar with our vernacular. But basically what I'm saying is that we need to know each other as brothers and sisters. So there is no hesitation moving in the direction of the unknown because we know who's with us. So if I speak too military, as my wife Martha often accuses me of, just raise your hand. I'm happy to start over from the beginning. <laughs> So I'm also a big fan of the team of team concepts, and it all kind of ties together here. Uh, really understanding cross-maneuver at a level that, that you understand the other team, teammates' uh, responsibilities. And this is how 7th Fleet is organizing. We're doing some pretty dramatic C2 shifts to make sure that we are a flat organization and we take advantage of the tremendous leadership that I have at the one and two-star level across my fleet.
And this is our new lifestyle. And it's a healthy lifestyle. Especially when you view it through the, the lens of a team who is focused like a laser on winning. Which, by the way, is my fundamental definition of quality of life. And with every day we commit to this idea of a cross-domain team, we approach a place where we are so natural that we can't remember this era of convenience. And I'll tell you, the more I spend with the Marines, the little less blue I get and the little less green you get. And weirdly, we're really becoming to understand each other. So for example, during one of our meetings, we were discussing the scenario of Marines moving off the X. And I didn't know what that meant. So once it was explained to me, it made me recall an analogous submarine example, believe it or not. And then it made perfect sense. So the context with the Marines are hard to kill. Famously, I might add. So moving off the X simply means that when someone shoots at you, you step away from where they're aiming. There's this tremendous marine logic in that. <laughs> so if you'll indulge me in a sea story, you might find my analogy a little bit interesting. So as a submariner, I spent a lot of time under the polar ice cap. Pretty far away, I suspect, from the conscience of any marine. And we, on occasion, have to punch through the ice for a variety of reasons. So to do this, uh, we'll find a spot, we'll hover about 100 feet below the ice, try to find a thin spot, and thin in terms of the polar ice cap is usually still several feet th thick of ice. And we set our parameters and we'll start our ascent. And for a variety of reasons, once you commit, there's really no turning back. So it's sort of a one-way 7,000 ton trip that comes crashing through the, uh, the Arctic canopy. So keep that thought in mind. Every other year or so, we will also set up an ice camp of about 50 people, and we fly in a bunch of support equipment, and, and we set up these huts. And this is where we do a lot of our under-ice weapons testing. And it's typically in the vicinity of the North Pole. So once the camp is set up, then we'll bring the submarines in from underneath. So the ice camp personnel will brush away some of the ice, or some of the snow on the ice, and they will literally paint an X on the ice for whether they want us to come up. And this is to ensure we don't come up through one of their makeshift huts or some other compromising position they might be in. So we can actually see the ice from underneath. We can see the X from underneath. And then we can measure the thickness of the ice, and, uh, and so that's the setting. So in this particular case, we were under the X, we set our angle, I gave the order, we established the ascent rate, and we were on our way. But as we got closer, however, we noticed that there was a shadow on the X. And as we got closer still, it became obvious that someone missed the memo of moving off the X. <laughs> so my XO energizes the external lights from the abyss, at which point the grave nature of his situation became abundantly clear. <laughs> and his new zeal to move off the X resulted in overcommitting and repeatedly falling on his face. <laughs> kind of like the nightmares we've all had where you want to run but you can't. <laughs> so our, our hero eventually crawled off the X really seconds before we came thundering through. 
So really great fun for all. <laughs> so I'll close with this final short discussion. Uh, this is a professional forum. We're in a professional business. And we must absolutely commit to our sailors and Marines as we develop them as leaders. We must continually look downrange to make sure we are giving them what they need to succeed when it's their turn. They must learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Knowing now under these flat organizations that their decisions matter and they may find themselves immediately in charge. So contributing to a team, being a valued member of the team, has long been heralded as the principal reason for job satisfaction in our business, regardless of rank, regardless of position. And now, conveniently, contributing to a team is an imperative. So give me a show of hands for those who are in command today. I know there are a lot of you out there. I wish I were you. Well, I guess I am kind of you at a very macro level. <laughs> so good-looking group, and I'll tell you, you know, it's unlikely a conflict's going to start tonight because we're out there doing our jobs. Matter of fact, it's probably going to be later on and we continue to do our jobs, hopefully never. So that means you have this precious time to build a team that is more likely to fight than you. And then they must pay it forward after you're done with them. So it's always about those in command. But what defines you as a commander is your legacy. And what defines your legacy is how well you prepare them for command when it's their turn. Being a tolerant mentor, understanding the lessons learned through failure are the most enduring. And when you step back and you look at the talent you have developed, you must dive right back in and make them run your command, surrendering all glory to the next generation. And you'll find these younger generations will thrive under that progressive approach to warfighting. And driven by our love of peace, your command will be better, more agile, and more resilient. And you will win because you are healthy. And I've been asked, surprisingly, many times, am I worried about America's youth and our professions? And I just have to laugh. Absolutely not. They're an amazing group. Just come to see with us and see what these kids are doing. So finally, the motto in 7th Fleet is to play hard. Which simply means do what you can with what you have, not what you wish you had. And it turns out when you look around the fleet, 3MF, this room, we have quite a bit. So play hard is meant to empower the team to start holding things together in creative ways creative tactics, try it, fail, try it again. Maybe not what you want, but it's probably better than what you had. And more importantly, play hard to prevent complacency. There's no free pass for it's coming, because it probably isn't. I was the N9, I'm telling you. <laughs> so move out. We have a lot to look forward to in 2020. It's a very busy year sparked by the Taiwan elections where we're still not sure what the overall reaction is going to be. So play hard. And I'd ask, who's with me? That's good. That's good. All right, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Good.